Yo, what up, guys? Welcome to the fifth episode of Born and Then Raised. It's your host, Raf. And this is Ravi here. All right. Now, today we're going to be taking a little bit of a different route than we usually do. Um, you know, the past couple episodes, we've been discussing Black Lives Matter and a lot of the movements um, revolving around that, a lot of the questions and different conversations that have been arising from that topic. But today we actually took a suggestion from one of our fans and uh, shout out to you. You know who you guys are. But um, we took a suggestion and we're actually going to be discussing COVID-19, but actually a little bit uh, deeper into that, more so the um, immigration policy that was actually put into place last week. Um, We're just going to be covering, one, the policy, you know, the reaction to it, the basis for it, and also what's being done about it right now. And I know uh, specifically it affects Ravi um, as well, but... It, I think we both just had a really fair and reasonable um, stance on it. Yeah. So I guess we can just delve right into really the policy at first. I mean, if, if those of you who don't know, um, ICE actually released a policy last week. I believe mm-hmm. it was the 6th, which was last week yeah. on Monday. And they claimed that all international students who were on an F1 student visa, mm-hmm. essentially they could no longer be in the country or be at their schools if they were taking more than one online course, or basically that translates to three credit hours, three online credit hours. So that affected both F1 visas and M1 visas, and Mm -hmm. M1 visas are basically like vocational schools, just so we have a gist of what that actually means. Exactly, because there is a a big difference. So So, M1 visas, like vocational, that's like cosmetology school, like, you know, trades, stuff like that here in the States. Yeah, so, you know, basically for, for myself, for example, I'm on an F-1 visa, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of international students, obviously, that are at these traditional four-year colleges would be on a similar, like, arrangement. Of course, when we first heard about it and we started seeing, you know, a lot of people posting about it and the whole protect the international students thing, I just think that right out the gate, it's important for me to clarify that I, I don't think that the maneuver at all was supposed to be against international students per se like i don't think it was a it was they were being targeted per se it 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 seemed like it was part of a bigger bidding war i suppose yeah um which we'll get into obviously when we start talking about the real reasons why they're pushing for stuff to be reopened whatever whatever but it it was just they were just trying to use that to try and motivate schools that had already submitted plans to go full online to try and reconsider and hopefully reopen in the fall Mm -hmm. like everything is normal Mm -hmm. so I guess they they try to use international students obviously because a lot of a lot of schools rely on international student tuition and all that stuff. Yeah. Um the the arrangement itself the the policy itself that came out um of course like you said briefly it it it's, it was talking about how if international students are online they can't be in the US so they have to leave voluntarily and they had other suggestions like if you can't be at a if you're an institution that isn't doing in-person classes in the fall you can transfer to another one yeah. or you could just go out, go outside the U S and, and, and be online. But it was, it was more detailed than that. Obviously they had a portion on there. They were talking about schools that are going into this hybrid thing where mm-hmm. they have part classes online and part of them um, in person. And I think that's what a lot of, a lot of, you know, bigger schools are doing, you know, like schools that have, bit, you know, closer to the, thousands like ten thousand maybe around that area they're doing a Mm -hmm. lot of that where part of it is online and part of it will be in person and just the requirements man when we're looking at it right like the the 
the um, requirements they had on that and the things that the, both the school and the students had to do just to stay in the U.S. Like they were talking about how the school had to update everyone's I-20s and stuff like yeah. that. And each international student had to update the accepted status online, all that stuff. Just like extra stuff for no reason. Yeah. Okay. I mean, could you explain I-20, I guess, like your experience oh. with the I-20? I mean, just for like the people here, just so they like, can understand exactly how yeah. much work that entails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I feel like most of us don't really quite understand how much work that usually yeah, takes. Yeah, so so your I-20 is um, a, do- a piece of document that every international student has to have, and it's like you, it's that and your student visa. Obviously, we speak of the student visas to mean the thing inside your passport, but your I-20 is just as important because mm-hmm. at any point of port of, en- point, uh, blah, point of entry, you use that to, to show proof that your visa is legit, basically. Um, And in the I-20... It's a detail of the kind of the program that you're you're taking, the school that you're at, um, when you're expected to graduate, and then there's a portion there that talks about like your financial aid and proof of your um, financial ability to to afford to go to school, basically. Mm-hmm. So whenever there are any changes, you have to update your I twenty. So for example, on my I twenty, I'm listed as a biology major. Mm-hmm. So if I change from a biology major to like accounting. I would have yeah. to update my I-20 because as far as the U.S. is concerned, my visa was issued based on um, proof of me being a biology major, that oh, kind of okay. thing. So every oh. minor detail, like if you transfer schools, you have to reapply for a totally new I-20 at that point and your visa status could come into question, you know. So mm-hmm. the I-20 is just like a very, very important document. And like you really don't want to make a lot of changes to it because, yeah, you know, if you make changes, if there are changes that are not reflected on your I-20, um, it kind of nullifies your visa, essentially. Mm-hmm. So by telling all these students that they would have to make all these changes to the I-20, it's just like, it's a hassle, obviously. You know, it's yeah. just something that nobody wants to do. The The process of doing it, you know, like, you it's know, I, I've, shared, I've shared openly about it, you know, when I was back home and I was stuck there because of visa-related issues. It's it's That's something that, you know, a lot of international students, when it was, when, when this new policy came out had to consider you know like mm-hmm. it was it was probably going to be a reality for a lot of people and we were talking about it it, it wasn't just going to affect the people that were inside the u.s that needed to leave but also students that are already outside you know like when yeah. the pandemic hit a lot of people traveled early and were able to go back home so now they're facing um the reality that coming back might not be as easy as anticipated you mm-hmm. know so it would have it would have really affected those people and also just people trying to apply for the first time, right? Like people trying to True. apply for their visas for the first time. So the policy would have would have done a lot of damage, you know. So mm-hmm. I mean, we're saying would have because obviously it was rescinded after Harvard and MIT. Yeah, I mean, you know, so yeah. I guess we can go into I guess the reaction, like like Ravi stated. Um, there's a lot of like you know protect international students. There's a mm-hmm. massive like I guess social movement regarding that, and then. Harvard and MIT actually filed like a full-on lawsuit against the Department of Homeland Security and also ICE, specifically the acting secretary of the Homeland Security, which was Chad F. Wolf, and the acting director of ICE, which is Matthew Albans. So they filed a lawsuit against those two individuals and obviously the organization as a whole. And in it, they kind of just highlighted how Back in March, when, you know, COVID-19 was officially considered a, you know, a full-on pandemic, like, you know, Mm -hmm. something that would shut down a majority of the country uh, by the government. Once that was established, you know, the schools were expected to, you know, handle their education as they saw fit. 
So back in March, like like I said, you know, they were kind of given this free reign to handle their education. And then that's, I mean, the whole concept of not having to take or being unable to take more than one course online or more than three credit hours online mm-hmm. has always been a thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like that's always been a thing for international students. But when COVID hit, they kind of, I guess, placed that, exe- they, they placed that exception and they basically said that, oh, it's okay. Like, you know, you can yeah. stay here, you can finish up your term, you can finish up your semester, so on and so forth. Yeah. So come the summertime, you know, like we're all kind of just like still waiting to hear things, still waiting for things to be like sorted out. And, you know, it's not like our numbers have dwindled down a ton, you yeah. know, like, yeah. I mean, America is still struggling to contain and handle COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So this kind of like this concept of where you kind of just said, oh, like, you know, you have to leave. You have to leave if you're taking more than like, you know, one course online. Right. You know, that that just kind of came out of the blue. So this is why, you know, Harvard, that's what Harvard outlined in their lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And they tried to point out the hypocrisy in a way. Right. So I think it was like almost like 25 pages. So they were like, they were going off. And I think <laughs> it was Harvard and MIT's lawyers and they worked together and um, they brought it forward to like, Massachusetts to the Massachusetts governor and he brought it forward to you know the government and that kind of I guess fast forwards us I mean after that lawsuit went through that was I think they filed it two days after the policy that ICE announced the policy on their website and also in public and fast forward to today actually was it today no yesterday no it was yesterday was it yesterday today I don't know wow I feel really bad about that okay so it was either today or yesterday uh, Trump actually um, rescinded mm-hmm. the international student policy that ICE put into place, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what what did you what did you see regarding that? Because I mean, I saw saw a little bit, but yeah, I, I think you kind of noticed more of, I guess, exactly the way he went about yeah pulling so, back the policy. so um, I think what was interesting about the whole lawsuit and everything that happened was the fact that they they seem to not have been a rebuttal at all. You know, mm. it kind of looks like they didn't try and counter the um, the suit or anything like that. Um, what I was, I, I I read a lot of commentary, I guess, from both from both sides, kind of. Um, mm. I know that the the lawyers that were largely involved with um, the suit, you know, both from Harvard and MIT, were talking about how they don't expect this to be the end. You know, like at some point, it's probably going to happen again. Mm. And um, I know we cited the whole thing that. They brought they they basically said that um, ICE issued a statement back in March saying because for the duration of the pandemic, um, they are gonna allow international students to be online just as much as American citizens, right? Like who, yeah. who are who are in college, and so they pointed to that and, and said, you know, we're still we're still in an ongoing pandemic, and um, the Trump administration is still still has America under a state of emergency. Yeah. But there's a lot of anticipation that once that gets lifted officially and it's declared, I guess, that we're out of a pandemic, even if some areas are still not completely open, mm-hmm. they might. there's a chance that maybe ICE will make another move as far as trying to kick out international students, quote unquote, right? Yeah. So they're just saying we're, we're not going to sleep. Like we're obviously going to be prepared for whatever they have next, you know, to try, to try and hit us with. But... um. It was also interesting because I read that um, apparently ICE was saying that they were pretty lenient. They felt they were being lenient by allowing um, international students to still hold their visa status outside of the U.S., which I kind of understand because, you know, 
if you can't be inside a country yeah um you would expect that your visa doesn't you know your visa doesn't quite hold up mm-hmm. you know what i mean so yeah no that makes sense so i guess they were they were being lenient by saying hey you can go out and then come back mm-hmm. on the same visa without needing to reapply or anything like that yeah but it's still it's still a reach you know like what people regard to be leniency sometimes yeah, it's obviously relative. <laughs> yeah, it <is laughs> I mean, it's easy relative, to say so. that it's it's easy to say that it's you know nice or right, right. you know lenient being in the position to where you are the one who says yes or no right. to really any of these right. decisions. So, so I mean, I, obviously, I'm glad both as one of the international students in you and I have buddies all across the U.S. that I came in contact with and asked how they were doing, and some of them were a lot more fearful than obviously I was, but. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad it's it's done because, you know, when you look at the number of people that have affected, like we, I spent a lot of time just reading what other, other students had to say, you know, all these major newspapers and stuff were interviewing a bunch of students and hearing, you know, that going back for some people is just not as easy, you know. Um, yeah. I, I know that for a lot of, for a lot of Asian students, you know, them going back would, would, would definitely hinder them coming back because for the most part, their countries are still very big hotspots for coronavirus so it it presents that whole thing where it's like okay i can go back now but then i want to come back and it's it, it's another issue it's like yeah. oh you've probably been exposed so we can't let you come in and there's still a travel ban right like mm-hmm. this is the reason it's the reason why a lot of people gambled in the first place and didn't leave right yeah. it's because of that so at least the confusion is gone for now but i think it's important for us to at least spend some time and that's the reason why we're doing this episode i guess is to spend some time addressing what the real issue was to begin with and why that mm. move was made and then seeing how similar moves in other aspects of society have been made and what the overarching goal is so i guess we could move away from what ice did because we could almost consider that to be a close chapter as far as international students are concerned but yeah, we can true. we can i guess move a little bit into discussing um ICE and immigration, you know, in mm-hmm. general, um, relating that to COVID-19. Yeah. And I mean, I like we were discussing it earlier, actually, mm-hmm. and it's not even I mean, beyond the student policy that right. that is the case. I mean, it even affects, I guess, COVID-19 and immigration like it's it's even affected those who, you know, have parents who are immigrants. Right. right. And then you have their children being sent back to their countries. Mm-hmm. And they don't even speak their native language. Right. You know, so like it's 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 dangerous, I think. In, and I think it's also it's also disappointing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand the motive. It's like, you know, oh, like, you know, we, we need to send people like back to their country. Like, I understand. Like, I get what they're right. I get what ICE is trying to get at. Uh-huh. But it doesn't really help with, you know decreasing the spread of coronavirus if right. anything it just kind of expands it to other countries even more it, mm-hmm. it just it basically exposes more people mm-hmm. right and for america as a country that you know we've claimed to be this massive superpower that protects people and like, you know we're we're like the knight in shining armor for the world right the world's right. superpower you know for someone who kind of like i guess for a group of people in a country that has taken on that i guess persona Mm-hmm. it's it's not really heroic to to be doing that you know like i mean if the people are already here the best thing that you can do is really quarantine and like and i get it even the a lot of the immigration like immigrant centers that are across the u.s they're awful mm-hmm. you know like they're, they're, they're basically detention centers yeah they're basically treated as though they're prisoners right, right. children and all mm. so 
I mean, I it, it goes beyond even just affecting students. It affects, you know, immigrants who are just here maybe for even asylum, you know, right, like it right. it sends them back to their countries and it, it puts them at risk probably more in, yeah. in their circumstance than they would if they were here. I mean, seeing as how America's handled yeah. the coronavirus and, you know, in comparison <laughs> to the whole world, you know, it's maybe the other world, maybe the rest of the world is better off than yeah. the U.S. But I mean, like, I mean, you know, I think the issue I think the issue that it, a lot of people are having right now is the issue that in these detention centers, it's not the safest place to be. Yeah. Like all these centers that have proven to be like breeding ground for coronavirus because yeah. these guys are, you know, the immigrants that are about to be deported and, you know, they're be kind of moved around between mm-hmm. detention center to detention center until they are in a group large enough to be on a plane and sent out, right? So in all their travels, yeah. they're coming in contact with other detainees from other countries and no one's getting tested, okay? These are immigrants that are probably um, from lower income households or whatever or just didn't even have pro- proper, um, they weren't, didn't have proper access to, to, to any sort of medical attention. Yeah. So a lot of them, you know, haven't been tested, even though they probably should because they're in areas where they're at higher risk here mm. within the U.S., right? Yeah. So these guys are getting detained, not getting tested, and then one of them reporting, hey, I've got symptoms. Them not, you know, the detention center not doing anything about that, but keeping them in these areas where they are coming in contact with other detainees. So it, it it's just, a, you know, it just becomes like a breeding ground, like I said, for coronavirus. You know, everyone in there technically has come in contact with someone who has COVID-19. And they're put on these planes and they're sent back. So not only are they at risk because they've spent time in these detention centers, but then mm-hmm. they're sending, you know, immigrants to countries. And these countries are receiving their, quote-unquote, citizens that all have COVID-19. Yeah. And it's like some of these, some of these countries are you know, poorer countries that don't really have the resources to handle such an influx of people that are testing positive, you know, like people that Mm -hmm. are, that need to be quarantined and all that stuff. You know, like we look at a lot of countries. I know a lot of countries in Africa have been pleading with the World Health Organization because they just, they don't even have enough testing equipment to suffice the the people coming back, you know, like all the, all those, all the citizens that are returning from foreign land, they just don't have those resources. So it's a, it's like, it's like that all over the place, you know, like Africa, most countries in Asia, same thing. So I, I I think that's, that's what the problem is. And and there is obviously um, a debate that ICE knows exactly what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they aren't doing anything to try and help out in those situations. And, they claim that in these detention centers, they're doing everything they can to make sure everyone's safe. But in actual fact, not a lot is being done, you know? Yeah. Or at least not as much, as not as much that could be done. That could be done. Yeah, absolutely. Know? So these guys are, it, you know, it's just a mess, honestly. Like when you mm. look at, if you look it up and you read about it and you hear like personal testimonies from people talking about how they got home and then they got tested and they found out they were positive for COVID-19, but they'd already come in contact with all their families. And it's like, at that point, <laughs> you know, it's almost too late, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's definitely sad, but I guess that's just, that just shows uh, a little bit how um, the pandemic has been handled, or at least the perception that a lot of people have had. Regarding the pandemic? Yeah, regarding the pandemic here, Um, at least in the U.S., and how policymakers have have looked at it, you know? Yeah, and I mean, uh, 
to not to like remove the seriousness of the situation but like i've seen so many memes like so many (laughs) memes i remember i saw a meme it was like squidward looking outside and looking at spongebob and patrick playing outside (laughs) it's like oh america like being in america seeing how we look at it look look at covid19 as a political issue and then like it's like the rest of the world just playing and trying to do things better and just seeing that it 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 bothered me. I mean, I, I could do nothing but laugh about it because it's a meme. But like at the same time, it's real. You know, like right. it's. I think that's something that honestly could be applied to so many things that have come into our field of vision, or at least have come into a lot of people's field of vision within the past four or five months. You know, like everyone's looking at something from a political perspective and when you look at th- when you look at any social medical right, right. you know humanitarian issue from a political view it tends to leave out so many important facts uh-huh. that it stops you from ever solving the issue in the first place right. you know so like i guess this kind of segues into i guess it, it looks away from immigration more so at covid-19 as 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 we've seen it as a country and a lot of it's coming from a political point of view. And I mean, I personally believe that's kind of, I guess, how this student policy came to be in mm-hmm. a way. Like, yeah. it, and like you said before, it kind of forced, it was forcing students and it was forcing colleges mm-hmm. to open up and make all their classes, like, I guess, in person. Right. And, you know, for some schools like Harvard and MIT, like, like, they're way too st- big for that. Exactly. They're way too big for that. They rely too heavily on international students and not too heavily but like they rely a lot on international students so that would do nothing but harm them you know right so in a way it's it's kind of like the government twisting the arm of society and kind of telling them like hey like you know we need to start making things normal again and i guess that starts to ask the question why like you know why is there so much pressure Mm -hmm. to put everything you know back in like back like right back to the way it used to be and mm-hmm. i mean i i understand where the pressure is coming from it's coming from this desire this this eagerness to want to have a normal life again uh-huh. right it's it's completely reasonable but when you don't take the necessary steps to make life normal then i mean it, it at that point you're just kind of forcing yourself to do something that you're just not prepared to do right so i mean there's i i remember seeing um something about I believe it was the Department of Education and a higher up politician basically stated that like, oh, like, you know, we've seen countries across the world like, you know, they're starting to reopen some of their public schools and like, you know, some of their opportunity, like some of those students are starting to go back to school and study more and do a lot of learning in person. And for that reason, she believed that America should be doing the same. And everyone all like everyone had the same reaction. They were like, we're not the rest of the world. You know, like right. we haven't like a lot of, you know, a lot of other countries and a lot of other places have forcefully made an effort to keep people, you know, inside or, you know, take all these necessary medical measures. You know, people have gone very far to make sure that the spread has decreased at a rapid rate. Right. But America as a whole, I mean, yes, we've made progress. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying so us speaking on coronavirus in this in this way isn't meant to downplay the progress. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for a country that holds ourselves in such high regard, mm-hmm. we're not holding ourselves to that standard. 
Absolutely. You know, like there are countries that, you know, you'd ex- that America, I'm sure Americans have looked down upon be like, oh, no, that country, like, what are they doing? Like, you know, what's, what's their economy like? But guess what? They handled COVID better than we did. Yeah. And that should mean something. Yeah. You know, like that, that should absolutely mean something. If anything, that should, I guess, in, in my opinion, shock you into behaving. I, that's such that sounds like such a weird word to use right. in regards to like a pandemic and like you know a first world country but just behave like you know act like you yeah. want to get rid of this virus and i'm not going to sit here and act like all high and mighty like i've done everything possible to decrease the spread but i know as a country we could do a million times better and now stop making this such a you know political argument this whole idea that oh we need to reopen the economy like why was the economy one of the first things we talked like i get why it was the first thing we talked about it because like i mean the economy could take a massive hit from covid19 and it, and it has you know mm-hmm. like unemployment went through the roof like right. i get it a lot of people were filing right. for unemployment but a lot of people started to i guess focus so heavily on the economy that they seem to forget that this is a real thing like it's like you know there are people who are actually getting sick and dying and even when they're not getting sick and dying some of them are leaving with permanent respiratory issues right permanent heart issues like you know it's not even like this thing this thing doesn't just kill you it gives you problems for a lifetime yeah like i think i think when it comes to the coronavirus and the covid19 pandemic as a whole like i just don't think you know Things are ever going to go back to normal as as long as people ignore what COVID-19 is, you know, like I don't think yeah. it's never going to go away until it, it, it sucks to say, but it's never going to go away until it gets the attention it deserves. Yeah. And quite frankly, not a lot of people are willing to give it that attention. Like the fact that we still have a lot of people within this country that need to be convinced on its reality blows my mind. You yeah. know, like it's that whole thing where someone has to die who's close to you before you know that it's real. Like it's, you know, it's almost like when we're talking about black lives matter and it's like, someone has to have, someone has to have black friends in order to understand it. Yeah. And and your failure, you know, like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. And like, unfortunately COVID-19 is a little more aggressive, you know, than the black lives matter movement in that it kills people, Yeah, you know? And I think that, the biggest issue is the fact that people are out here doing what they think is right. And I think that's, that's, that's the issue that I'm, that I'm realizing is, is with America, you know, like wearing a mask is more of a, whether I want to do it or not, rather than a a rule, a law that ought to be followed. Yeah. It's becoming like a courtesy. It It really is, you know? And I saw something that truly bothered me. I saw something on Twitter and I don't know who this guy is, but I think he's a baseball player, you know? And he said, Oh, for for baseball when baseball reopens its season, people should be allowed to come to our games and they should be able to sign a waiver to say that I'm cool with the risks and I'm gonna and I'm gonna watch this. And it gained a lot of traction. People were like, Yeah, I agree and I'm like, You know <laughs> you know, like you know, you signing a waiver saying I w- I'm gonna I'm okay with getting sick says absolutely nothing about the number of people that you're putting at risk. Okay. Yeah. It's not like something that you contract by, I don't know, eating a certain food where you're like, okay, I accept the risk. I eat it and I'm fine. You know, only I get sick. Yeah. When you leave that game, if we have a game with 10,000 people and we have, let's just say, 15 people that are ill, you know, that have COVID-19 
we can almost assume at this point, judging by the numbers, because one person who has COVID has the potential to um, infect up to uh, up to like is it three thousand other people yeah, just by the math like itself. That. So we can almost assume that all ten thousand people have come in contact with with somehow with these people that have COVID. And you'll look at just the number of people that those ten thousand will leave that game are going to come in contact with. Yeah, it you know it's absurd. It, it's 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 honestly. It honestly bothers me to know that there are people out there who are willing to put themselves at risk, but are ignorant to the fact that by putting yourself at risk, you've put several other people at risk. Like it, 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 it bothers me that that's still a concept that we need to explain to people. Yeah. You know, people that are old enough to have jobs, to be in positions of power that were voted into power, anything like that. It, it, it's, it's very, it's very interesting that, you know, we still have to convince those people. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I guess personally, uh, Speaking personally, um, I had someone in my family who recently passed away from COVID-19. And as a family, like, we know who spread it, how he came in contact with it. Like, we, we, we understand, I guess, the chain of um, transmission and how it got to him and how he passed away. So just kind of seeing that. And I think, honestly, the the guilt that came with that i mean i'm not saying this is it's it's kind of sad to, i guess for me to say this in the first place but i'm not saying that the guilt is what should stop you or at least what should motivate you to keep safe right yeah. Yeah. it's just that concept that you should care that much for the people around you uh-huh. and i mean i get it you know if you only care about your loved ones your immediate family okay fair enough uh-huh. i guarantee you every person who's listening to this podcast know someone above the age of 50 right or 60 like right. i i know that to be an absolute fact right or at least i know someone here knows someone or knows someone who knows someone who's under the age of 10 like you know right. it's there it goes beyond our own scope of thinking yeah. right like you may not think in this exact moment that you know you're going to affect this person's coworker's child but you could yeah so I, I guess it's that it's that concept, I guess, for me that it kind of keeps me up. And it that's at least what gets to me in regards to how we view um, COVID-19 as mm-hmm. a whole. Yeah. And the fact that it's actually like something that I know people protest like it's yeah. how can you protest something that doesn't really care? Like it's it's <laughs> it's just it's a disease. Like It doesn't care if you protest. It doesn't care. Like you think right. you showing up to a protest saying that we don't need masks, what does that really accomplish? Like, this isn't some type of social institution that will be like, ah, we heard your concerns and we'll consider it. No, there's no one listening to you. There's not a single person. Like, you going to a governor's, you going to the state house and saying that, like, hey, we we demand that you say that we no longer need masks to, to, to go do something. He could easily just be like, yeah, okay, and let you get sick. But by him doing that, it get it puts him at risk as well. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, as and I get it. If you want to make this, if, if I was to make this a selfish thing, that's how I would do it. I would basically explain it as, okay, if you don't want to wear a mask, cool. Right? But me being selfish, I'm doing this for my safety as well. Because I'm sure you know someone who knows me who I might come in contact with. Right. And there's nothing I can do about that, you know? So, I mean, it's a... Sorry, my bad. I mean, there's oh, this, this, this whole issue with, you know, reopening the economy. And I think that it, it's such a, 
it's a faulty argument in my opinion because it it it's operating under the assumption that people that want to take the pandemic seriously and have people wearing masks and all that and wait until the 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 numbers go down are mm. against reopening the economy there is absolutely nothing to gain in not reopening an economy there's you don't gain anything from it in, in if anything you lose like yeah. yes people are getting unemployment checks whatever that are worth like a thousand two hundred but ultimately you're better off going to work you know the you have so many other benefits the ability to get promoted what you know it doesn't benefit anybody to stay with an economy closed so by you saying oh they are get they, no one's against that i don't think anyone's against that but it's by by you ignoring the pandemic and and operating under the assumption that it doesn't exist it does more harm yeah it's you more know? so just picking the necessary evil the longer like, the longer we argue about reopening the economy and don't focus on covid-19 the more damage is going to do to the economy that everyone is trying to save yeah and i th- i don't think that's a concept that people people look at like look at this this is what this is july you know this is july and after four months, other countries are looking at their numbers going down and then reopening. But now we have an issue where there's a spike in cases. You know, yeah. they re- reached like a record number of new cases in a day, which hadn't been broken since April, I believe. Yeah. And now now it's the new thing. You know, like you look at Florida and Florida is being considered the new epicenter for COVID-19 worldwide. You it's know? crazy. And, and yet, you you know, you have Disney World reopening this week and i just don't get it i honestly don't get it i mean i guess it's i guess it's easier for myself to sit here and say that i would rather the economy stay closed in Mm -hmm. order to keep everyone healthy and safe Mm -hmm. because i'm not some fortune 500 ceo (laughs) lobbying to keep you know certain policies in place or get new policies pushed or i'm not a politician who's you know losing from all this economic Mm -hmm. you know disruption so i mean i guess it's it's easier for me to say that you know i want the health of the u.s to be on the forefront but in all honesty i feel like that should be the mindset of every american right like i'm like that that's the thing and i think it's it's an important concept to think that covid doesn't care how much money you have right it really doesn't like, you know, the economy could be booming and guess what? Everyone could die. So like right. it, it doesn't matter. It, it right. literally like in this situation, you have to look at it as, you know, which a uh, which of the two, you know, is non-discriminatory. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's COVID. COVID doesn't care if you're rich, poor, white, black. You know, it, it doesn't matter. West Coast, East Coast. It doesn't matter at mm-hmm. all. It will if if it if it wants to it will right. and it it more likely will if you're put in that kind of contact but you know for the economy closing yes you know lower class will suffer everyone will suffer to some degree mm-hmm. but there are some people who are going to you know there there's going to be an effort by the government i'd hope you know trying to make some reparations some you know right to make up for it in some way at least there's some type of kickback and some type of help being done with covid yeah we got medical help but i mean seeing as how much we're putting into the actual progression of you know taking care of covid it doesn't really seem like that it doesn't really seem like that medical help will reach everyone right you know like there's already a there's already a massive discrepancy between you know how lower class individuals are treated with covid and mm-hmm. upper class individuals there's a very big difference you know you're going to see certain 
certain groups, so certain socioeconomic classes are being diagnosed or, you know, are contracting COVID at a higher rate than the upper class. Mm-hmm. And that's just a fact. Like, you know, the, how is it that we already have that statistic? You know, right. it hasn't even been a year. Right. I mean, it, it's about to be a full year, you know, of us being aware of COVID, but it hasn't even been a full year and we already have that massive discrepancy between the lower class and the upper class. Right. So it just goes to show that there is a difference in how we handle, you know, coronavirus as a country, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, looking ahead, I guess the way or the, I guess the solution that I would like to see that I know it's a little late for it now mm-hmm. is I want there, like, I wish there for there to be like a change in mindset. Like, you know, like I right. kind of want people to realize that we're putting so much stock into what a politician or a leader says in regards to a medical issue. And I, I get right. it. They're, you know, leaders, you know, they kind of, I guess, they have a say about a lot of things that revolve around coronavirus, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I still think, like, you know, this is a time where we kind of have to, I guess, humble ourselves, realize that, hey, we're not the biggest, baddest wolves in the world, and just handle what we can handle. Like, you know, control yeah. what we can control. And as far as I'm concerned, we haven't proven that we can control coronavirus. Right. We haven't. Right. So I mean, I, I, I hope there's at least, uh, at least I hope for Florida's sake that there's a decrease. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Like, I kind of hope there's like a a change in the way we see it, and I kind of hope there's like I guess a collective effort mm-hmm. to you know lower these numbers, but I guess flatten the curve. Like I mean, that was a trend on Twitter. Right. You know, like it didn't really seem to be something that people took seriously in their day to day lives. But you know, when you have situations like the government forcing schools to get into in-person you know classes when Mm -hmm. you when you're forcing so many facets of society to become normal Mm -hmm. it comes at a cost right so i I guess it's i guess from from what i'm seeing from america's actions it's like i guess they're kind of looking at as hey you know like if if 10 percent of the population dies they die if 1% of the population Perhaps. dies, they die. Perhaps. And it it feels as though that's the way, you know, that things are, are coming off. And I feel like if you said that to any individual mm-hmm. in this entire country, I'm sure there's going to be people who are like, yeah, no, I believe it. But I think, you know, there's a lot more people who are kind of on the fence with this stuff, which I don't really believe there is a fence, nor should there be a fence. But I feel like there are going to be people who consider themselves in the gray area and mm-hmm. say, okay, I don't really think that's the way to view things. And I'm like, okay, well by us continually stalling and doing all these like, Hey, let's force this to open. Now let's slowly open, force this to open. And on top of that, it's like, you know, you look at education and if you're forcing education to meet in person, who's to say that you can't go to the restaurant? Like, you know, like I know in New right. York education is stage four. So basically you're saying that we need to skip stage three. Like you're, you're basically saying like, Hey, you know, we're fast forwarding past everything else and we need to just make sure schools are open Uh, at least for the fall, you know? And that, that comes at a cost that comes at a a place where basically people are going to be forced to try to live very, very normal lives in situations where you don't think it's normal. Right. And I, and I think, you know, looking at this whole pandemic and w- and when it started, I think the general consensus around the world was that the U.S. was in a unique position because th- I guess not only did they almost detect it early, but they also had the mm-hmm. resources to minimize the number of cases. You know, like yeah, 
the biggest thing that's happening with coronavirus in a lot of the countries is that they cannot afford to be shut down for extended periods of time. Okay. Like yeah. for some for some countries, the poorer countries, the third world countries, they cannot afford to be locked up for a month just to try and avoid this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them have had to come to terms with that level of risk and just, you know, operate with that risk existing just because it's either it's either, you know, they get coronavirus or they starve to death. You know, it's yeah. the, you know, yeah. that that's that's the that's the ultimatum for a lot for a lot of for a lot of these countries. And what was interesting about the US is that when they had a shortage of masks, they had so much money, quote unquote, to just go and get them, you know, like they mm-hmm. were able to outsource and get those masks and get the ventilators required. And, you know, people that will have been that have been filing for unemployment are getting monthly checks. So at least, or I don't know if they are going to keep getting them, but at least for a while they were, you know, like you look mm-hmm. at America and they w- potentially could have put everyone in lockdown for three, four months had um, a minimal disruption to the economy as a whole compared to other countries. Like other countries, GDPs are screaming right now because mm-hmm. of COVID-19, something yeah. that the U S probably maneuvered a lot better than a lot of these countries. A B they could have still, you know, they could have made sure that all these families that rely on their jobs on a weekly basis or whatever to get paid would have had sufficient resources to, to pay for, for pay their bills, pay for food, all that stuff. Something that, is only true for a select few countries in the world. So it's interesting to me to know that the country that everyone was looking at to say we're going to be able to escape this pandemic with the least number of deaths and, you know, the smallest disruption to the economy is in a situation like this where four or five months later, you know, they still are in lockdown and should be in lockdown for even longer. And, you know, it, 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 it all comes back to the point where you know, we're talking about the way this thing was just received from the get-go. Yeah. You know, like when China went under lockdown, people went out here saying, I don't think Corona is real. Whether or not you think it's real, it's lockdown. You mm-hmm. know, that's that's bottom line. Wear your mask. Whether or not you think it's true. You know, like there are certain areas in there are certain places in China. They've been wearing masks all their lives because of the pollution and stuff. Mm-hmm. You think they complain? No, absolutely not. Even if they do complain, you know, I think that here is just an issue of everyone thinking, oh, this is my my way or the highway basically right (laughs) so people out here people out here not wearing (laughs) i was trying to impersonate a tiktok i saw i'm sorry but but you know it it, it's it's that whole thing where it's like you know you're in a unique position recognize the privilege that you have to be able to be locked up for three months still getting checks still being able to pay your bills right not getting covid19 having the resources to deal with it if you do contract it you know the the virus you know getting to getting medical attention if need be being able to get tested on a regular basis for some people all that just recognize that and all that has been thrown away because of ignorance that the population has had and this overarching debate that covid is a political issue like you have to be and i hope i hope this really touches somebody you have to be very privileged in order to ignore something as real as covid-19 that people are dying from and call it a political thing. You have to be sitting on some pedestal that is glittered by privilege in order for you to say that. And honestly, it's I mean, I know it spoke to me. But like <laughs> I, I know we've I know we've talked about this before, but 
I mean, I know even personally in my own life, like mm-hmm. I try to like check my privileges, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure all of us have kind of seen these occasional, I guess people say, oh, check your privilege. Right. So, I mean, I kind of check my privilege. Like, oh, I'm a man. Um, and like, but the thing is even beyond that, like I, I kind of look at it and I immediately say I'm an American. Right. Like the, the privilege with goes that goes along with saying that I'm an American mm-hmm. as I feel like very undervalued. It, it's kind of masked by this idea of confidence. Right. Like, right. you know, as an American, everyone says that, you know, you're supposed to be proud to be an American. And, you know, like I'm, I'm Haitian American and I, I will I may sit here and I, I know you've, I even said last episode, like mm-hmm. I want to be an American, but I want to have that like I want to have that pride of being an American and have it be real pride. I don't want it right. to be like a false sense of confidence. And that's what right. I feel like a lot of being an American sometimes really is. Like it's kind of right. like this fake it till you make it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this idea that, you know, we've been taught since we were literally children that like, you know, you're in the greatest country in the world. Mm-hmm. We have it good. But there's no sense of humbleness that comes along with that. Right. And yeah. I think with COVID nineteen it, it's kind of opening a lot of people's eyes and making them realize that Hey, you know, as much as we want to say we're great, right. we seem to be really failing at what we consider to be, or at least I consider this to be relatively a simple, a simple solution. And I get right. it. It's not actually, it's not actually simple, yes, but course, it's like, of course, you have to sit here and say that, okay, if like just every day, like, Hey, what, what are you going to, what are you willing to risk uh-huh. the $20 in your wallet or, you know, the very bad cough or the very bad disease you might catch you might catch Mm. i i'd probably risk the 20 bucks right like it's i don't know what that cop's gonna do me it's too volatile for me to tell right Right. it's just it's the unknown right Mm -hmm. so why would i like i don't have like why should i have confidence in this when i i should be i should have a respectful fear it's like it's meant to be a respectful fear and i feel like that's something that as americans we lack we lack Mm -hmm. fear in a respectful way right. because we're taught to be overconfident and never have fear of anything or any one or any other country. So, right. I mean, you're absolutely right. right. Like, you know, you do have to have an absurd amount of privilege mm-hmm. to look at COVID-19 and be like, ah, man, it's just the liberals. It's that, the, the right. wild liberals. Or it's like, ah, it's just those crazy conservatives. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, you have to have privilege to even let those words come out of your mouth. And right. it's kind of ironic because I just said that, but it's like, <laughs> Still, like, you know, if you truly believe either one of those things, you have a very relaxed way of living. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you know, this is in close and we're probably about to wrap it up. But a very close friend of mine, shout out to you, you know who you are. I was on the phone with this person yesterday and they brought up an interesting question to me. They said, you know, um, as somebody who's not American has kind of had the best of both worlds as far as perspective, right? Like being outside and perceiving it growing up and then coming here and being around for the last three years of my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the question was, do you think that the world is finally opening up their, their eyes to what the U.S. really is? Like it's not this place that has it all figured out. And I was like, actually, no, you know, (laughs) like for, for the longest time, the world has tried to, um, talk about those issues that they see with the U.S. at least and seeing and trying to educate people and saying it's not all perfect, but it it finally feels like at least Americans themselves are, are coming to the table. You know, they were a little late, but they're here now. And now that's why a lot of the issues that are originating within the U.S. seem to be global. It's not because they're global because everyone loves the U.S. and is paying attention to what the U.S. is doing. It's global because for the first time, the U.S. is starting to address those issues as a country that everybody else has been talking about. So that's why all these things are so huge. Like you look at Black Lives Matter, for example, like 
the idea of black people being oppressed is not foreign to people outside the U.S. Yeah, it's more real to them because they've seen it. You know, the whole concept of sanctioning countries. A lot of African countries are under sanctions. Where that is breeding ground for black people. You know, that that's mm. where African Americans came from. And it's not because their perception of white people was that they're all high and mighty until the U.S. No, they knew how messed up it was. It's just that nobody was willing, had gone into a point of addressing it, you know. Mm. So when I look at, when I look at, you know, the question and, and asking, oh, do you think that the world's finally? No, absolutely not. Like, you, you know, we've been singing this song for a long time. And it's great that at least Americans are now checking themselves on that privilege and are willing to speak about those things. And, you know, I see it, too, and even the people that I, I have around, like, looking at you, for example, like, there are yeah. a lot of things that we've been able to discuss and talk about within the last year, even, yeah. that perhaps freshman year, you know, either one of us wouldn't have had enough perspective to discuss. Yeah. And I think it's great, and I think that's just a positive thing that's that's been happening lately, the fact that more and more people are willing to have conversations about the things that matter to us the most, you know, and, and mm. I think there's real progress to be made as far as, people being vocal about these issues and us talking about it yeah and and acknowledging that perhaps everyone's mindset has you know changes that ought to be made for us to progress and i think that's great yeah no of course but that brings us to you know the end of the episode you know we want to say thank you we appreciate you guys tuning in Mm -hmm. um we hope you guys liked the you know the the different topic uh we weren't really focused on black lives matter i know it came up a few times but um yeah it's just something different that, you know, we wanted to talk about and something that, you know, a lot of friends have brought up to us and they, they wanted to know our perspective and they wanted us to kind of, I guess, convey the important message regarding, you know, immigration, you know, international students, how that situation has been going on and also just COVID-19 in general. Right. So, you know, we're, we're glad we could really um, discuss this and bring it up. I mean, hopefully next week we can bring forth maybe a new topic, you know, another new idea, you know, feel free to, you know, DM us or, DM the Born and Then Raised page, you know, Born and Then Raised, all lowercase, underscore at the end. Um, but, yeah, no, reach out to us. Let us know if you guys have any ideas. Keep an eye out for um, any Instagram stories or, you know, our personal Snapchats. We repost some stuff here and there. But, yeah, no, thank you guys for your time. You know, stay tuned for next week. Peace. Cheers. <laughs>